Mordena Church. Uh, my name is Matthias. I'll be reading um, God's word to us. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to the persecuted and be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. In those days, uh, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the, su- the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door.
Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in the household to give them, give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants uh, and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thanks, Matty. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name's Andrew. I haven't met you before. Welcome to City on a Hill. It's great that you can join us for church this morning. Uh, please keep uh, Matthew 24 open. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning as we look at God's Word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather this morning as your people. Uh, Lord, we uh, do uh, gather mindful of brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, fellow Kiwis up in the Hawke's Bay, who probably don't have this privilege this morning uh, with everything that's happened uh, to them. And so, Lord, help us not to waste this privilege that you've given us. Lord, please speak to us through your word um, so that we might know and understand the times in which we live and that we might be faithful servants who are prepared uh, to live for you now uh, and to live for you into all eternity. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want you to cast your mind back to the 21st of May, 2011. Do you know what you were doing that day? It was a Saturday, if that helps you. Uh, in Wellington, it was, a, it was a cool day, but not too windy, so yeah, a bit unusual. Uh, 21st of May 2011, uh, according to the late Harold Camping, uh, a preacher in America, it was supposed to be the end of the world. Uh, he predicted the 21st of May 2011 was going to be uh, the beginning of these cataclysmic events that would usher in the judgment of the world and the return of Christ. And you know what? He said it was going to start in kind of little old New Zealand. It was going to start here at 6 p.m. that night. There was going to be a massive earthquake in New Zealand that would shake the whole earth and begin that cataclysmic day. Now, Camping and his organization spent $100 million on billboards and advertising, sharing the news so that everyone would be prepared for the return of Christ. Many of his followers were so convinced that the end was nigh that they had quit their jobs. 
that they had sold their houses, that they had given their life savings, their retirement savings to camping so that he could proclaim the news of Christ's return. I mean, really, after the 21st of May, they weren't going to need these things anymore, were they? They didn't, they're going to need a job or a home or retirement savings because they would be taken to be with the Lord. But then there were also uh, the, the skeptics who came out and mocked them. Uh, some cheeky entrepreneurs uh, spotted a business opportunity because this is all kind of bound around the idea of the rapture where the, the people of God would be raptured up to heaven and everyone else uh, would be uh, here on earth. Not, not, not an idea that I subscribe to, but that's what they thought. Um, and so these people set up this uh, business called Earthbound Pets. And what, for $135, what they would do is that when you got raptured, they would come around and feed your dog because your dog wouldn't be raptured with you. They would look after your pets after you had been gone. The business owner, uh, he said to the newspaper that he expected his clients to be doubly disappointed. Uh, one, because they weren't raptured, and two, because he didn't do refunds. <laughs> now, when the evening of the 21st of May came, reporters gathered, around, gathered outside of Camping's house in California. Uh, they noticed that the curtains were drawn and no one was answering the door. But as time passed by, nothing happened. The next day, uh, 22nd of May, Harold emerged from his home and he said he was flabbergasted that the end hadn't come. He said, and it was a Sunday, so he said he'd be back at work, back at his desk on Monday morning, looking for answers, checking his Bible, checking his calendar, checking his sums to see where he'd got it wrong. Well, he'd actually got it wrong before because he'd done this before in 1994, <laughs> predicted the end of the world. And later he had to apologise because he made a mistake in his maths. Maybe he forgot to carry a two or something like that. Now, for Harold Camping, most of his predictions about the end of the world, they were based on this chapter, Matthew 24, our passage for today. Now, with times and dates and predictions of, of when all this was going down, now, Camping, he was, he was hopelessly wrong. And, and tragically, for the thousands of people who, who followed him, it, it was costly. Uh, not only the financial costs that it was for them, the embarrassment, uh, but also costly in terms of their trust in in teachers of God's word. Now, there is one thing that Camping got dead right. He had a rock-solid confidence that Jesus was returning. And he knew that the return of Jesus changes everything. The return of Jesus changes everything. So come with me to Matthew chapter 24, uh, what uh, many consider to be the most tricky chapter in Matthew's gospel, and let's see what it has to say about that time. Let's see what it has to say about the end, about how we are to live in light of Christ's return. Uh, now, a first glance at Matthew chapter 24, it seems uh, a little bit confusing and strange, and it's going to be hard work to uh, figure out uh, what's going on. You're definitely going to earn your, like, uh, your slice and your coffee for morning tea this morning. Uh, but I actually think the message of Matthew 24 is very simple. See, as Jesus speaks to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, here is what he wants them to know. Here is what he wants us to know. He wants us to know that as we await his return, it will be difficult. But those who stand firm will be vindicated in the end. That's what Matthew 24 is all about. As we await his return, it will be difficult, but those who stand firm will be vindicated in the end. Uh, now, chapter 24, it begins with Jesus and his disciples there on their way out of the temple. Uh, Jesus had just had his final words with the religious leaders uh, in verse 1. And then in verse 1, uh, it says, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call to his attention its buildings. 
Now, his disciples, they seem pretty impressed by uh, the temple complex. Maybe these are kind of simple men from Galilee. Maybe they're not seen uh, anything much bigger than kind of a small uh, home. And, and they're on the tourist trail. And now they're in Jerusalem, the big smoke. And they're, they're impressed by these magnificent buildings. Uh, but Jesus knocks the wind out of their sails. He says, verse 2, he says, Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Uh, what are you talking about, Jesus? This temple that we've just journeyed all this way to visit, this temple, that one that you've just cleared out because it wasn't ready to receive you, this temple that sits at the heart of, 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 of our people's relationship with God, it represents God dwelling amongst his people, the place of worship for the nation of Israel. This temple, Jesus, is going to be destroyed? They can't quite believe it. Now, according to Google Maps, it's 29 minutes walk from the temple to their next destination. You can look it up. I even have a map there for you if you're wondering. Uh, uh, it's a 29-minute walk from the temple to the Mount of Olives. Um, and it takes that time, about half an hour, for the disciples to get their head around what Jesus is saying. Uh, 29 minutes to come to grips, to gather their thoughts, and to ask a clarifying question. See there in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives... Then his disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end, and the end of the age? Uh, now, judging by the disciples' question, they assume that the destruction of the temple that Jesus is talking about and Jesus' return and the end of all things, they assume that they're all one and the same. You see, they cannot imagine a world without the temple. And so what Jesus does is, as he answers them, he separates these issues out. He separates these, these, these two or three events out, uh, and so, uh, which is partly what makes this such a tricky chapter, trying to untangle Jesus' answer. When is Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple? When is Jesus talking about his return? When is Jesus talking about the end of the age? Uh, he's kind of teasing these things out from this one question of the disciples. Uh, but what Jesus is trying to do here is, is when it comes to the destruction of the temple... As significant as that was for the minds of his, his followers, Jesus wants his disciples to realize that the destruction of the temple is not the end. Instead, Jesus wants to prepare them and he wants to prepare us to live in light of the end. He wants to prepare us so we know how to live between now and when he comes back. And see, chapter 24, it doesn't give us a program. It doesn't give us a program, but it gives us a paradigm. Uh, it doesn't give us a schedule, but it gives us the shape of life and the shape of reality as we await his return. Uh, and that's the key to understanding this chapter, I think. And it's the key to avoid confusion. Uh, now, I, I managed to make it to a session of the cricket uh, yesterday at the Basin Reserve. If you don't know, uh, England is here and they're playing New Zealand. Uh, and, uh, but yesterday, with kind of kids' sport and a few other engagements and the weather, it just all got a bit complicated as to whether I was going to get there or not. And I bought my tickets like six months ago. Uh, I had no idea what was going to be happening that day. Uh, so what I did uh, during the week was I looked up the program. I looked up the timetable for when things would be happening at the cricket so I could plan my day. Which bits would I get to and which bits would I miss out on? When was, when was the start of playing? When were the breaks? How late in the afternoon would they, would they be playing to make it worth my while to come in to see the game? And so you can find the timings for all these things on the internet. Uh, 10 a.m. is the start of play. Uh, 12 o'clock is lunch. Uh, you know, second session starts after 12.30. Uh, that's the program. That's when everything's going to happen. But the program... 
of when things are going to happen. It doesn't tell me what it's going to be like to be there. It doesn't tell me the weather. Do I need my puffer jacket? Clearly, yes, I did. Uh, it doesn't tell me how the game will be played. Will England batter New Zealand again? Clearly, yes. Uh, it doesn't tell me that I'm going to go there and be outnumbered by hundreds of sunburnt Englishmen who've all had a bit too much to drink. You see, that's what it was like to go to the cricket yesterday. Matthew 24, it doesn't give us a program, but it tells us what life will be like. It tells us the shape of life as we await the Lord's return, not a schedule for what will happen uh, when it does. Uh, and so in terms of that shape of reality, Jesus is really clear. And here it is. As we await the return of Jesus, it will be difficult. But those who stand firm, they will be vindicated. Hardship will come, but glory will follow for the faithful people of God. Uh, and to begin with, Jesus warns his disciples not to be deceived when distress comes. That's our first point. Don't be deceived when distress comes. And this deception that might come, it, it, it may take many forms. It, firstly, it might take the form of false messiahs or fake Christ. Have a look there at verse 4. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. And then again in verse 23, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, as we await the return of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised if there are these imposter messiahs, men and women who come along claiming to be the saviour or, or, or who claim to know the timing of the return of Christ or claim to have a special take on who uh, the Messiah really is. And it even says that they'll do signs and wonders to deceive people, which means that if you're someone who's trusting in signs and wonders, uh, you need to be careful that they're not signs and wonders of a false Messiah. They can't be proof uh, of someone's legitimacy, says Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, we won't be wondering if it's him, he says. What does he say? Verse 26, So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go look for him. Here he is in the rooms. Do not believe it, for as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so the coming of the Son of Man, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, we will not need to go out and find the Messiah. We don't need to go look for him. We don't need to book flights to Korea or some other part of the world where they claim that he has arrived. Jesus says everyone will know when he comes. So don't be deceived. Also, don't be deceived when life gets difficult for the people of God. Have a look there in verse 9. Don't be deceived when life gets difficult for the people of God. Verse 9, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. Now, persecution and difficulty and distress um, for the people of God, Jesus is saying this is going to be par for the course. It's going to be par for the course that faithfully following Jesus is going to be difficult. And it's not a sign that you're on the wrong side of history, and it's not a sign that God has abandoned you. Jesus says that's what we're to expect as we await his return. Suffering now and glory later. Just like Jesus, who suffered before he went to glory. Uh, now, for those listening to Jesus on the Mount of Olives, this would be all too real for them in a few years. You see, in AD 66 to 73 uh, was the first Jewish-Roman war. 
and it raged all around them. And in AD 70, there was a siege in Jerusalem that lasted five months. Hundreds of thousands of people died. And this brutal siege, it culminated in the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70. And this is what Jesus is prophesying in verse 15. Verse 15, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel. You see, what Jesus is referring to here is Daniel's own prophecy of the temple's destruction. And and Jesus is saying there's going to be a rerun of that destruction again. The second temple will be destroyed as well. And then down in verse 21, for there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. You see, for the people of God, the siege of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, that those events were earth-shattering. They were an existential crisis, something that rocked them and their belief in God to the core. And even for those Jews who are now following Jesus, they would have been hard-pressed to think of a more devastating event to happen. And many of them were there in Jerusalem and endured the war and the siege. And, and they may have been tempted to think that this was the end. That either God had abandoned his people or that the, the end of the world was upon them. But Jesus is saying, this is just part of the paradigm. This is part of the pattern. This is the shape of life for the people of God as we await his return. So don't be deceived when distress comes. Don't be deceived when distress comes. Because why? Verse 13. Because the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Instead of being deceived, Jesus tells his disciples to stand firm, to hang in there, to keep trusting in him, to, to don't, don't budge because in the end, they will be saved. And uh, We see this in our next section as Jesus says, hang in there because vindication is coming when he returns. Hang in there because vindication will follow. Have a look at verse 30 with me. Verse 30, after the days of distress. So uh, verse 30, then uh, will appear the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You see, after the cataclysmic events of the destruction of the temple, after the long suffering of the people of God, as the gospel goes out to the ends of the world, ends of the earth, as it says in verse 14, then the Son of Man will return. Then Jesus will appear in power and with great glory. And what will he come to do? Verse 31. Verse 31, he will send his angels out with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the heavens, from one end of the heavens to the other. See, when Jesus returns in glory, what will he do? Well, it says he'll come and vindicate his people. He'll vindicate those who have hung in there, who have, who have trusted in him despite the distress, despite the difficulty of this age. And they'll be gathered from all across the earth, gathered in to enjoy bless, the, the blessing of being with Christ and in his kingdom for all eternity. But it's suffering now and glory later. Difficulty now, but vindication to come. Now, if you're sitting there, you, you don't like the sound of that. Um, that's, you know... That doesn't sound like a very good offer that Jesus is putting out there, kind of suffering now and then glory later. Uh, If you're wondering if it's going to be worth it, uh, learn a thing or two from John Chrysostom, an early church father who knew a thing or two about suffering for Jesus. Uh, He spent years in exile for his faith in Christ, and ultimately he would die exiled away from his family and friends because of his faithfulness 
to Christ and his gospel. He wrote this to a friend. He wrote, During the last two months, I have been no better than one dead. I underwent extreme sufferings, perpetual vomiting, loss of appetite, and constant sleeplessness. Doesn't sound great, does it? And yet, despite the hardship, he would also say, All the sorrow of all the saints in all the world are not worth one hour of glory in heaven. All the sorrow, all the suffering, all the distress, all the hardship of all the saints in all the world is not worth one hour of glory in heaven. Will it be worth it? You bet it will. It will most definitely be worth it. And this is the paradigm. This is the shape of life as we await the return of the Lord. Yes, difficulty and distress, persecution and suffering. But for those who stand firm, those who keep trusting in him, vindication will come. Christ in his glory will come and gather his people up to be with him forever. And it will all be worth it on that day. Now, I'm aware that there's that tricky little verse there in uh, verse 34. Verse 34, how do we make sense of this? Jesus says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. On a first reading, it sounds like Jesus might be promising that he's going to return uh, before the disciples who are sitting in front of him, before they have passed away. Uh, which, if that was the case, then Jesus is running later than a Wellington bus. Uh, it's almost 2,000 years since he said these words, uh, and he hasn't come back yet. Uh, now, what I think Jesus is saying to his disciples here, he's saying that this paradigm of difficulty now, but vindication later for those who stand firm, this, this, this pattern will happen with, with this generation, with the disciples. He's saying to his disciples that this isn't just a promise for future generations, but this is also a promise for you. And I think what's going on here is Jesus is doing some expectation management for his disciples. Uh, see, if the disciples are sitting there still thinking that Jesus is bringing a military kingdom, that Jesus is bringing a political revolution, or that Jesus is going to bring an earthly kingdom, uh, if they're thinking that they're on the cusp of glory and an easy life to follow, Jesus is saying this pattern of difficulty now and vindication later this pattern will be established in their lifetime. This will happen to them like it will happen to all of God's people until Christ returns. And so when's the later? When is the glory and the gathering and the vindication of God's people? Well, Jesus isn't giving us a timetable or a checklist or a countdown because point three, the timing is uncertain, so keep watch. The timing is uncertain, so keep watch. Have a look at verse 36 with me. Verse 36, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, if you ever meet a Harold Camping who says that on the 21st of May 2011, Jesus is returning, or anyone else who thinks they've worked out when Jesus is coming back, congratulate them, because they know more than Jesus himself. Well done. Uh, just like judgment came on wicked people unannounced at the time of Noah, so it will be on the whole earth with the return of Jesus. We just don't know when, Jesus says. 
I remember at the time when uh, the COVID alert levels in New Zealand uh, were changing and, and those mass alerts went out. Uh, did you remember? We we're all sitting around. Uh, one of them went out during night church and literally uh, every phone in the room began beeping. And it's not the sort of, it's the sort of beep that kind of, kind of, uh, trumps your kind of silencing of your notifications. Uh, everyone was notified of the event. Everyone knew. Not so with Jesus' return. There'll be no mass phone alerts that go out. There'll be no billboards or preachers uh, setting a date. Jesus says it will be a normal day. See there in verses 40 and 41. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. People will be getting on with their daily routines, catching the bus, going to work, playing with the kids, making dinner. But because we don't know when, verse 42, verse 42, therefore keep watch. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. What does that mean? Does that literally mean we need to go stand, look out the window, just keep keeping watch? Well, to keep watch is to be ready for the master's return. It's to be ready for the master's return. We see this in that little parable in verse 45 onwards. In verse 45, who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. You see, the faithful and wise servant, they are prepared for the master's return, even though they don't know when it will happen. They're prepared for the master's return by taking care of the master's business. They keep watch by continuing the master's work. And this here is in contrast to the wicked servant, verse 48. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he is not aware. He will cut him to pieces and assign him with the hypocrites, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, now, there'll be more on this uh, next week in, uh, in chapter 25, but this picture here of this wicked servant, it's a picture, isn't it, of complacency. It's a picture of complacency that leads to unfaithfulness to the master. I mean, it's a classic picture of like the party that takes place when the parents are away, right? Or the, the skiving off when the boss isn't around or serving yourself when no one's looking only to get caught. You see, they're not prepared for the master's return because they've ignored the master's business. They're not keeping watch by continuing on with the master's work. And what is the master's work? Well, as we keep watch, what is the, what is the work? What is it that we're supposed to be doing to be busy with? Well, like I said, this is going to become more clear uh, next week in chapter 25, but here there are some strong hints. Uh, jump back up to verse 14 with me. Verse 14, what is the activity that needs to keep happening right up to the return of Jesus? What is that activity? Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what's the thing that's going to happen right up to the return of Jesus? What's the way to be ready? The way to watch out? What's the way to go about the master's business? 
was to invest our efforts in the work of spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus to all nations. That's what God is on about in the world, drawing people to himself through Christ. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, the well-known Scottish preacher, the guy who wrote that How to Read Your Bible in a Year kind of program thing that a lot of you guys know about, uh, he said this. He said, an inch of time remains and then eternal ages roll on forever. But an inch on which we stand and preach the way of salvation to a perishing world. There may only be an inch of time left. It may be a day, it may be a week, it may be a year, it may be another 2,000 years. We don't know. But the way that we are ready is to keep watch. It's to use that inch of time to share the good news of Jesus that desperately needs to hear it. So in Matthew 24, Jesus tells us, as we await his return, it will be difficult. But those who stand firm, they will be vindicated. So keep watch by being devoted to the master's work of growing his kingdom. Uh, in May uh, 1780, uh, there were forest fires in Canada. Uh, at the same time, there was thick cloud cover and fog uh, in New England, which caused uh, the sky above New England to turn dark in the middle of the day. Uh, it was so dark that the sun had been completely blotted out. Uh, people had resorted to candlelight uh, in the middle of the day to be able to see what they were doing and where they were going. And many concluded that the return of Christ was imminent. And so how do you think people reacted on that day in New England? A lot were shocked. A lot were scared. A lot of them were freaking out, feeling completely unprepared for Jesus' return. Uh, there was such turmoil that the, um, the Connecticut legislature, their, their parliament, uh, someone passed a motion to suspend their sitting that day so they could all go home and pray with their families to prepare for the coming of the Lord. However, there was one man named Abraham Davenport. Uh, he rose to his feet in the chamber and he said, I choose, for one, to meet him face to face. No faithless servant frightened by my task, but ready when the Lord of the harvest calls. And therefore, with all reverence, I would say, let God do his work. We will do ours. Bring in the candles. Do you see what Davenport is saying here? He is not embarrassed if the king is to suddenly return. He's eagerly awaiting his return. Ready as he goes about his business, this side of Christ's return. And there was no panic for him. No panic for like when the kids hear the parents' car pulling in the driveway or the employee when they see their boss coming down the hall. No, Devonport is ready to see the Lord face to face. And Matthew 24 wants us to be ready too. Jesus wants us to be ready too by knowing that life will be difficult, but standing firm, prepared to meet the master face to face as we go about his work of growing his kingdom, of sharing that life-changing, life-giving message of salvation that can only be found in Jesus. Let's pray.